All right. So last week, um, I talked out of Romans 12. I preached out of Romans 12. It was about the first half, the first eight verses. And I talked about how there was an imperative that he's going, getting into. And he's exhorting us to live out uh, a, a life that's hinged on the indicative, right? The, the first 11 chapters. And the reason for that was that context matters, right? I'm sure you're tired of hearing, hearing that already, but context really matters. Um, and then we talked about how the only logical response to, to the indicative is to live this life, that, uh, to live a life of a living sacrifice. That all we do, then all we breathe, then all we do, then all we work towards is a service to God. And that was the only logical, logical response to what Christ has done. Right? And that logic is not just based on our minds, but it's a faith logic. It's a logic based on faith. It's a divine logic. And finally, the last thing we talked about was how spiritual worship manifests when we share the different gifts that we get. Okay, we talked about uh, the different gifts and how we have to live through humility to humble ourselves to each other that we can live as one body in Christ. Right? Okay, so this week, we're going to look into the latter half of Romans 12. So if you have your, your Bibles with you, please open them to Romans 12. Um, and even though we've gone into the imperative, even though we've gone into like the, the directions last week, it was still pretty like conceptual. It was like, oh, what is a living sacrifice? Oh, what? how is spiritual worship, right? This week it's a lot more practical. So if you're one of those practical people that don't like concepts that well, this is for you. Um, Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. And this section is called Marks of the True Christian, right? Or in, in the NIV, it's called Love in Action. Or in the King James Version, Behave Like a Christian. So let's begin with verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink, for by doing so, uh, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. The title of my sermon today is "Loving and Blessing." Loving and blessing. So we can kind of see, if you've read the New Testament, you can kind of see that Apostle Paul. He's a very smart person, right? He's pretty much written half of the New Testament under the, whole, uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's very well educated. He was a Pharisee. He, he went to pretty much law school at the time of what uh, the Jewish law school at the time, and he's using his education. 
here to show us that there is a progression of imperatives, right? In Romans 12, it's very clear. In verse 1, Paul says it should start personal. It should be internal, not just body, mind, and spirit, but also in our lives, in our daily lives. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Verse 1. After the internal, in verse 3, he says, it goes into the interrelational uh, relationships that we have with each other in the church, what a church community should look like. And that goes all the way to verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, right? the saints being the church. And then finally in verse 14, he tackles the issue of dealing with people in general, people in the world, not necessarily in the church. Right? Verse 18 says, do what is honorable in the sight of all, and the translation for that is all men usually. It's panton anthropon, anthropon being men, right? So there's a clear progression of what Paul is doing. He's saying it starts in the internal and goes to the external, and it starts personally, then to the church, then to the world, right? And last week we touched on two of those aspects. We touched on the internal and external, but also the personal and the church. But this week we're going to focus on the church and the world, okay? Now, I don't know if you're really good at counting, but if you've counted how many imperatives there are in verses 9 to 21, it's okay, you don't have to count it right now. I did the work for you. There are 13 verses, right, 9 to 21. There are 28 different imperatives found different directions that he's giving us. Okay, compared to the first eight verses that we read last week, there's only six. So six and, and then 28. There's a lot more to break down today. What we're going to do together. We're going to do it in different sections. That's why I call it loving and blessing. The love section, loving section, and the blessing section. So let's start with verse 9. Let love be genuine. The literal translation of this is let love be unhypocritical, which is genuine, right? But it's fitting that Paul talks about love first. And uh, John Calvin says this. Uh, he says, Paul fitly begins with love, which is the bond of perfection. Love is the bond of Perfection. It's the glue that keeps everything else in perfect unity. So that's what we have to start with. We have to start with love. And it's interesting that this love section starts with love because it's actually the same pattern that he uses in 1 Corinthians 13, right? That's the famous love chapter. It says, uh, love is patient, love is kind, right? But the chapter right before that is about spiritual gifts. It's about worshiping in the church. So he uses this pattern and he says, let love be genuine. How can love be genuine? How can it be unhypocritical? What does that mean? So when we think of love, what do you think of? Think of a feeling sometimes. You think of, oh, this person makes me feel loved. right? These are words that we use. These are phrases that we use, especially when we're dating someone or, or when you receive a gift from someone. It's like, oh, I feel very loved. Or, I'm loving this person by giving them gifts. Or I'm serving this person by giving, right? But... If you're doing all these things with an ulterior motive, then that's not love. If you're doing any of these things, say, I'm giving a gift to Claire, and what I want from her is something out of it. That's not really love. right? Love, in essence, is a sacrifice. Okay? So genuine, unhypocritical love is a sacrifice. It's a commitment. Right, married people? Come on. <laughs> Okay, so love is love. Let love be genuine. Next, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Okay, so abhor. This is not a word that we use a lot in uh, our vernacular these days in the common language. 
But abhor, when we think of that, we think of the word hate, right? Oh, hate, what is evil? Uh, which is correct, but there's also a deeper meaning to this. So once again, the context matters. And the context is that abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good is one complete phrase. And you can tell by the pattern. There's a pattern, right? There's verb, object. Abhor, verb. What is evil, object. And, and uh, hold fast to, verb. What is good, object, right? There's a clearly a mirroring of sentences. Okay, so if the objects are opposite, right, evil and good, then the verbs should be opposites too, right? So if a bore was just hate, then why didn't Paul just say love what is good? Like a bore what is evil, love what is good. Why didn't he say that instead? So to get an answer to this, we have to look into that verb. We have to look into the verb that he put there instead. Hold fast to, right? This phrase can be tra- translated into cling to or cleave to. In fact, this is actually the same word that Paul, uh, that Jesus uses when he's quoting the Old Testament regarding marriage. If you look at Matthew 19:5, he's quoting Genesis 2:24. He says, "Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to, or cleave to, his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." So, if Paul is saying cleave to what is good, what is he trying to say about a boar? He's saying, get away from it, right? Get away from what is evil. Turn away. Okay, I'm going to use the message version again. It's really good. It says, run from light. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to the good. It's just, this reminds me of the story that's found in Genesis about Joseph. When he faces Potiphar's wife, when she tempts him to have sexual intercourse with him, he, he runs away, Right? My translation would say, be allergic to what is evil, right? If you're allergic to something, you don't want to stay anywhere near that thing, right? Be allergic to what is evil. This doesn't mean to avoid non-Christians, okay? And we're going to get into that later, but run from evil, okay? Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Okay, the NIV says, be devoted to one another in love. Okay, so the love here, there was a love in verse 9. It's not the same love that we're talking about. And the love found in verse 10 is Philadelphia love, which is brotherly affection, right? That's why the ESV says brotherly affection. Um, The love found in verse, uh, I guess, 8 is agape love. So we have to be devoted to one another with brotherly love. How do we do that? Well, Paul is, is very smart, but he's also very nice. He tells us in the next thing. He says, outdo one another in showing honor or honor one another above yourselves. Okay? I know I'm getting a lot into like the, ver- the the what the words mean, but it's very important. The word for honor here it can also be translated into value. The Greek word is uh, time, right? Not not tene, but time. Time, honor or value others above yourself. Serve the needs of others before yourself. And this is much easier said than done. It's so easy to say, yeah, yeah, I value you above myself, like. Okay, I do this all the time with my wife. Oh, I love you, honey. I, I want to meet your needs. And then I don't, right? That's, that's what happens in marriage. We always have good intentions. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. How many people here have roommates? You can raise your hand. Roommates. Oh, not that many. Okay, so three people. If you don't have a roommate or if you've never had a roommate before, I, I actually suggest that you should try it once, uh, at least before you get married, because marriage is pretty much just having a roommate for the rest of your life. Um, but having a roommate, 
when you have a roommate, there's there's certain parts of the area of the area that you share called the common areas, right? And you share these areas, and everyone that uses it is responsible for it. So pretty much everyone that uses it. Um, these common areas, you want to do your part in cleaning up, right? You don't want to be a burden to the other person. That's like the basic level of serving others, of honoring others, right? Oh, I want to. I don't want to be a burden, so I'm going to clean up what I did so that other people can use this space too. Or I'm going to clean this dish because other people are going to use this too. That's the basic minimum level of honoring someone or valuing someone above yourself. Okay? But being married, again, it's like the next level of roommate. It's like eternal roommate. It's being married, everything becomes a common area. Everything you have to share, right? What, what, uh, what's a common phrase that people say is, is what's, what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours, right? But my wife, when, when we got married, she said, what's, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. <laughs> of course, she was just joking, but you guys, you guys get it, right? It's like you share everything. Everything about your lives, every property that you own is supposed to belong to the other person. Okay, so when you are in a loving and healthy relationship, these, when, when there are two people that love each other and serve the needs of the other person, then both needs are getting met. That's a loving and healthy relationship. Okay. If there are two people that are just like, I'm going to do what I need to do and you do what you need to do, you do you, you I, I'll do me, right? That's not a relationship at all. That's just, you're cutting, right? You're cutting the relationship. So when you have two loving people in a healthy relationship, their both of their needs should be getting met by the other person. You guys want to know what the next level of, of honoring others is? Having a kid. Why do I say this? It's because not only are they a roommate, right? You have a third person you have to feed, you have to take care of, all this stuff. But they can't even reciprocate the same kind of love back towards you. Think about it. When you have a baby, I'm sure the parents in this room will, will agree. When you have a baby, you will love them with all you have, but they, they will be useless to you <laughs> until a certain age, right? But when they're a baby, it's like they're so... There's nothing they can do other than like sentimental value and loving value. Practically, okay, practically, practically. But you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of our relationship to God. If you think about it, we were useless to God, and God, he still loved us and sacrificed for us. We didn't bring anything. Anything that we did was useless. In fact, it says that all of our righteous deeds were Filthy rags before him. Not only were they useless, but they were filthy before him. Everything that we did. But still, he sent his son and his sacrificed his son so that we could be counted righteous. Now that's a loving relationship, right? That's valuing others before yourself. So now when we do righteous deeds, we have a frame of reference. Jesus loved us and valued us before himself. He came to serve, not to be served. If we understand that, then we can do the same. Remember, it says in verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our service is a response to Jesus. Okay. Our sacrifice is a response to Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice, in, in essence, begets our sacrifice. And the great news is that usually in Christian relationships, that's the same pattern we see. Sacrifice reproduces other sacrifice. Love reproduces love. So 
For example, like when I love my wife, when I do the chores around the house, when I clean up her mess after herself, right, without her asking me to do anything, then she feels really loved. What does she say? She doesn't say like, oh, I'm going to make a bigger mess next time. No, she doesn't say that. She says, oh, man, I feel so loved. Thank you for loving me in this way. Next time I'll do the dishes. Next time I'll do this, right? There's like love that produces more love, right? Of course, we live in a sinful world, and that doesn't always happen. But that's why Paul is spelling it out for us here. Honor others above yourselves. Outdo one another in showing honor. And one thing I love about Korea, Korean culture, is they take that to a whole nother level. Like, have you guys seen the battle at the at the restaurant? Like, at the, at the end of every meal, when Koreans gather, they're like, I'm going to pay for it. And then they grab the bill. They go over to the to the kezangi or the wherever they pay, right? They And then they do the check, like, dance, the checkbook dance. They, like, fight fight each other. Like, I have seen physical fights over a check before. It's that crazy. They're trying to outdo one another in showing honor, right? So outdoing one another in showing honor. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Okay, so this first part, do not be slothful in zeal. It sounds kind of like a paradox, right? How can you be a slothful zeal, a zealous person? Like, that sounds pretty paradoxical. But again, we need to connect the dots. If we take the whole thing, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. It sounds like Paul is saying, again, this is my translation, Don't let your zeal slow down. Stay hot in the spirit. Stay hot when you serve the Lord. Okay. Again, the message version says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. And the word fervent here is actually found, the the root of the word is found in a word boil. Boil in the spirit. Okay. Don't get cold. Don't be lukewarm like the church in Laodicea, right, in Revelations 3. Okay, this goes well with the next verse as well. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. See, when hope is all that is left, the good thing about our hope is that it's an everlasting hope. We need to rejoice in that. When there's nothing good around us other than our hope, our hearts should still rejoice in that hope. This sounds... Very similar to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not only is he saying, I'm telling you to do this, but he's saying God is, his will for you is that you would rejoice, that you would rejoice in hope, that you would be patient in tribulation, that you would pray all the time, right? And finally, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Okay, so figuring out the needs of those in this community and contributing to them, right? Pursuing hospitality. Are you pursuing hospitality? And you might be thinking, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm a pretty messy person. I'm not good at hosting people. Well, that's fine. Okay, you don't have to invite people physically over to your house to be a hospitable host. You can still invite people out to lunch, to coffee, to different things, right? Everyone in this room, I'm sure, unless you're a student or a child, everyone has a disposable income, right? So be hospitable. Use it for the good of the community. Okay? Another thing I love about Korea, Koreans are super hospitable. Not only not only are the hosts hospitable, but, but guests are hospitable. Because 
when guests go to someone else's house, they always have to bring something. They have to bring fruit or they have to bring a gift, right? And and sure, the the like culture makes it so that, oh, you kind of have to. But I kind of see the heart. It's like, oh, I want to be a blessing to this family that is hosting me, so I'm going to bring something, right? But not only that, the hosts, when you, whenever I go to a, a relative's house, I always feel like I gain like five kilos or like 10 pounds, right? Because they feed like a 20-course meal to you when you, before you leave, they're like, oh, a clean plate, here's, here's some more food, right? So it's like, oh, I already had 19 plates before this, but okay, sure, why not? And then after that, there's fruit after. The fruit that you brought, they serve to you, right? So Koreans are on another level of hospitality, and we, we have to, we should learn how to be hospitable, not only to like our family, but our spiritual family as well, our relatives, our people that are sitting next to you right now. Paul says, here's how to love each other. Don't be fake. Don't be lazy in your service to God. Pursue hospitality. And then is the blessing section. What does he say after that? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Say, what? That doesn't make any sense at all, right? But then he repeats it and he says, bless and do not curse them. Okay, so some advice about reading the Bible. If there's anything that's repeated in the Bible in general, or actually reading in general, if anyone tells you something twice, that usually means it's something very important. It's either something very important or something that they really want you to get. They really, really, really want you to get. So you shouldn't gloss over this part. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, oh man, I did this again. For so, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this section, we're not going to do like a fancy phrase by phrase breakdown like the last one, but instead I'm just going to give you the overall theme. If you had to summarize this section in a couple of words, what would you say it would be? For me, it's pretty clear there's a pattern. Bless those who persecute you. Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. What is he saying? He's saying, be merciful. Be merciful. Forgive, right? Verse 2, he says, transform the way that you think. The world, That's this is how they operate. They say an eye for an eye. They say, I'm going to get my revenge, and then we're going to be even, right? That's what the world says, but he says, don't conform to these patterns. If the world wrongs you, then forgive them. Be merciful. That's what a transformed mind is. Okay? And only a merciful person can bless those who persecute them. Only a merciful person can truly rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those who weep. How can I do this? How can I do this when someone has been so bad to me? Right? Think about your own life. If there is someone in your life that you feel like you can't forgive or be merci- show mercy to, like whether it was a physical pain that they gave you or a mental pain or even a spiritual abuse or, or something that you've been living your whole life through, like a systematic oppression 
or when there's been injustice done to you, how can you do this? We just need to remember. Remember the mercy that God had on us. When we remember the mercy that God had on us, we can truly remember to have mercy on others. When we truly know what we have been forgiven for, when we truly know what we were to God before Christ, that we were mortal mortal enemies of God, that we were destined for death and destruction, yet because of His great love for us, He chose to send His Son to be chastised and punished in our place. When we realize this, then we can forgive others. Because God has forgiven me. God has forgiven you. Romans 5.8 God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were still sinners and Christ died for us. When we were still enemies of God, He heaped a bunch of coals on our head. Right? That's, that's what God did. He said, God, I'm gonna, God, I'm gonna live for myself. I'm gonna live in a way that is not pleasing to you. I'm gonna live as if you don't exist. And He said, here's my son. Here is a person that you can relate with. And as Jesus was being unjustly crucified on the cross, as He looked down, at all the people, unjustly, who threw false accusations at him, that whipped him, that got him to the point of death, he looked down and said, what? God, punish them. No, he didn't say that. He said, God, get even with them. No. What did he say? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Right? He taught this even when he was alive. He says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's a radical way of thinking. Loving your enemies. This totally goes against every cell, even my body. right? Especially when I'm driving in Korea. Man, when, when, when a taxi driver just cuts me off, I'm like, mmm, right? You want to say something. You want to honk. You want to do something. You want to cut them off too. No, but he says, bless them. And it's not like one of those face, like fake blessings. It's not like you drive up next to them, roll down your window, and you're like, hey, bless you! <laughs> no, not like that, right? He says, really bless them. It's like, God, I'm a child of God. I'm saved by grace. Bless them, right? That's the mark of a true Christian. That's a life of loving and blessing. And these imperatives, if we go backwards, they're not exclusive to the people that they're just given to, right? It's not just for the world that we can forgive. It's not just for the church that we can, um, like, uh, what is it, outdo one another in love, right? These are things that we can do. All of these things are applicable to the layers before. So if you can forgive someone in the world, then definitely you can forgive someone in the church, right? But that's the way our world works. I want to close with this. If we look at this passage again from verse 9 to 21, we see a list of things that are really hard to live out. Honestly, I probably failed in like half of these this week. In fact, it quickly becomes just a list of failings and shortcomings. But we always need to remember that this list is a list that points us back to the gospel. In the Christian life, there's nothing beyond the gospel. 
There's no next level. In, in our swim today, uh, one of our sisters, I think it was Jennifer, she shared that she's graduating from this next stage. But there's no such thing as a graduation from the gospel, okay? The, the life of a Christian is always the gospel, okay? So this list that we see here is a, is a pointing to the gospel. So I'm going to read these verses again. And actually, if we could all stand up while I do this, I'm going to close with the benediction after. While I read this, I want you to think about it. Close your eyes if it helps you, or you can read read with me if you want. I want you to think about the gospel as I read it. Think about all the shortcomings that you confront in these verses. Think about the life of Jesus and how he actually lived these out perfectly. So let the life of Jesus and his example give you faith to also live it out. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray.